0: And welcome to episode two hundred and eighteen of the Crate and Crowbar. It is the what? What date is it? Tom Francis, seventh of December. Let's go with that. <laughs> it's the seventh of December, twenty twenty-seven. My name is Chris Thurston, and tonight I am joined by Tom Francis.
1: Hello, it is the, the, indeed the seventh.
0: <laughs> Fantastic, and John Roberts. Hello, hi. I thought
2: it. spiritually, it's the sixth. In what way? (laughs) In... I'm going to stop now before I... You can't back that up. (laughs) No, it's just the
0: seventh. I didn't know it, but now I feel it, and (laughs) will passionately defend that fact. So, it seems like we've had a big old rush of indie news. Indie news. Yeah. Joining Uh, us from Indie. (laughs) Indie news correspondent and time expert tom francis <laughs> those
1: are my specialties all right um uh that game uh <laughs> <laughs> this is going well uh john what's that game you've been looking forward to a long time with really good art iconoclast yes
2: hey <laughs> by joachim joachim sandberg yeah. uh i've been excited about this for a long time Exactly how long, I can't remember, but I do remember looking at all of his pixel art to work out how you should do pixel art for (laughs) Gunpoint, right? Right. So it's been about that long. (laughs) Yeah, it's
0: got to be at least six years, right? Mm. Or at least five. It's fitting into that band of indie game, which is sort of like uh, the the, the type you expect is never going to come out. Yeah. We had a few Mm. of these.
1: And the news is not that it's out, but just that there is there is now a release date. Mm. It's January, is that right? 23rd, I think. Yeah. 2018. 2018.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um,
2: um,
1: it's The trailer looks... Uh, it is beautifully made and it uh, seems the game is beautifully made. I wasn't 100% clear, actually, whether the animation bits we see in that trailer are cutscenes from the game or whether they're done for the trailer. Because he said something about having done
2: some animation for the trailer. I'm not sure I think it all looks like bespoke trailer animation um all done in his style um that's crazy so that's there's a, lot a crazy there. amount of work <laughs> yeah mm. uh, which is kind of true of the projects as a whole I think yeah so it
0: is a like an adventure platformer but with tremendous pixel art production mm. values would I- you say that's a fair way to sum it up
2: I don't know if I want to invoke Metroidvania. Mm. I'm not sure how much you go back, but yeah, it's platforming and shooting. Um, and you discover a bunch of gadgets and, uh, get powerful and go through a story and stuff mm. with gorgeous pixels. You have some kind of special spanner, <laughs>
1: yeah. it seems to me. Uh, I think it's like your main tool. Um,
0: is that what you were looking for, John, for gunpoint It was just so that you huge could have spanners. just huge spanners. <laughs>
1: I am carrying a huge spanner in the gunpoint developer commentary. Yeah, that's what I'm getting <laughs> at. at the yeah.
2: And the heat sig huge wrench was there from the very beginning. So. <laughs> mm.
1: <laughs> I think the wrench in heat should weighs twenty kilograms <laughs> in the game's physics.
0: That's a that's a good heat sig. Yep. Um, so yeah, because I'm actually I've not played you guys played Iconoclasts in mm. one of
2: I think I did, yeah. One of his demos or betas or something that he put out mm. two years ago. Mm. And I'm not normally one for those kind of games, but I genuinely enjoyed it. It was had a great sense of exploration and discovery. And it wasn't nails hard, which is always something I appreciate in a platformer. Um, I was kind of worried about that, actually, because the trailer brags about, like, 36 bosses or so. hmm.
0: uh,
1: They're all easy. (laughs) I I hate (laughs) bosses, and bosses are usually
0: hard. Hmm. Yeah, there's a tendency with sort of, like... Sort of retro passion projects to also trend in a kind of to trend Megaman woods mm. uh, by which I mean be extremely difficult but no well I'm just glad that it's actually a thing it takes a real kind of it takes a particular kind of person to follow a six seven year project all the way through and just keep doing it
1: mm. yeah um speaking
0: of rich goro goro also has a restate yeah it does which I think we spoke about on the pod like. Four years ago? Like, <laughs> yeah. deep. Like, I remember, I, I can't, I couldn't tell you what number it was, but I know there's a Marsh's graveyard era episode of The Great and Crowbar where we talk about Gorogoa. <laughs> I think I played that as well. Mm. I think it was in the IGF, like, that long ago.
1: Um, so that's another ridiculously, um, long-running project, and it's being published by Anaperna now, mm. um, who published Edith Finch. Um,
2: remind me what it is?
1: It's, uh, if I recall, it's a game with lovely stylized art in panels and i think you can move the panels around mm. or oh, there's some- that one there's re- interesting relationships between the panels like one is a different view of something else I mean. or the same thing as the other one also. um but i can't remember any specifics about how it worked um but a lot of people uh, as soon as that released it was announced a lot of indie friends are popping up to say they played like a recent version and it was absolutely amazing
2: mm-hmm.
0: mm. yeah i've heard good things through the grapevine So that's exciting. Uh, Davey Reardon is hiring for a new project, which sounds interesting.
1: Yeah. Um, He describes it, the names, the games he name checks are Stardew Valley and anyway, the details are (laughs) (laughs) um, that it's about, um, uh, He references Stardew Valley in in the sense of uh, ritualistic activities that you repeat Mm. every day in the game. And then on another layer there is, um uh, randomly, uh, randomly chosen story events happening and basically this is a job listing and he's asking for programmers. you wants a, uh, 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 gameplay programmer I think and some kind of architecture programmer or, um, uh, something more technical. And, uh, for the gameplay programmer he, he sort of describes what kind of gameplay that's going to be um about and so that's uh uh he's talking about some kind of system of story events that are chosen randomly and then figuring out a way to piece those together into an interesting narrative um and that's about all we know but mm. yeah it's it's hard to picture what that means in any mean, in any real way like um and it does certainly sounds like whatever it is, is a pretty big departure from both the things he's done before because mm. um Stanley Parable and The Beginner's Guide um, are kind of similar in format. They're very different games, have a very different tone and uh, and everything, but they are first-person games where you walk around and you're talked at, and um, to varying degrees you can, uh, you know, uh, make choices, but neither one of them is anything like Stardew Valley.
0: <laughs> it's fair to say. I think it's also fair to say, however, that this kind of, like, modular, um, sort of, uh, kind of randomized or dynamic narrative game narrative creation is the holy grail that like the sort of pretty renowned linear game narrative designers disappeared in search of <laughs> yeah. like in the Isn't this what happened to ken levine <laughs> it is what happened to ken levine it's like well we can make this kind of from point a to point b in a way that has an arc that people will resonate with but what if a computer could do that <laughs> instead and i and then they vanish and you like in the bermuda triangle or <laughs> you never see them again
2: yeah, five years later, Davy Reeden receives a torn up map in the post.
0: Yeah, exactly <laughs> yeah.
2: from um,
0: from Ken Levine, and it's just you know a location in the South Pacific or something. And they like, say no one's seen Ken Levine in
1: forty years. I think the weird thing about Ken Levine's disappearance approach <laughs> was that he gave a GDC talk about it, like you know, must be at least two years ago at this point, like before it even really started uh, in any mm. major way. Um, just about, like, w- why this was going to be g- cool based on the ideas involved. And the ideas involved didn't sound like they wouldn't work, but they weren't new ideas. They were just, like, disposition ratings for each person. Mm. But they have two of them instead of one. And it was like, maybe you could do something with this that is more than the sum of its parts, but just telling us the parts doesn't get anything
0: like it w- wasn't yeah it's like listing all of the bricks in a lego thing but not saying what it is yeah yeah there's um yeah I, I don't know which is not i'm not trying to be flippant to the point that i don't think it can work um and obviously like it's like they've is obviously done very clever kind of sort of narrative experimental narrative design of the context so maybe if anybody can make it work he'd be one of those people but there is there is a sense that like there's this desire to break game narrative design away from you know, end to end planning towards this kind of like, well, if we can determine what the component parts are and then have a computer rearrange the component parts, but have it still, um, retain its soul, then we've solved some inherent problem with game design. I mean, it, functionally what you're talking about at that point is having kind of, um, responsive, uh, DMing. Not that this is something I've been thinking about a lot recently, <laughs> but like that notion of like at the moment you can do this with another human being there to manage the process, right? Like, if Ken Levine was available to personally tell you every <laughs> every bio story he could, then that would be it. Maybe that's what he's doing. Maybe that is where he's gone. He's working around every human being on planet Earth telling him <laughs> a bespoke dynamic story. But you know what I mean, right? this, this seems to desire to see if you can capture the spirit of being told a story within a set of random systems.
1: I think the way this has been revealed for Davy's thing, um, i.e. just a job listing with no announcement, it hasn't even announced that. Uh, you know, what the name of the project or anything about it, but he just, uh, went through the details that, that you'd need to know if you're going to be a programmer applying for this position. Um, suggests to me that he's not sort of coming out and saying, I've solved narrative through algorithms. (laughs) It sounded more like this is just one of the aspects of the game is there will be some random events and, Mm. um, uh, he wants someone who can, you know, handle the technical side of that.
0: Yeah. I mean, yeah, maybe I'm reading too much into it. That's very likely. That's very possible. What else in the world of what else was the um about?
1: getting over it came out?
0: Yes, game, yeah. Uh,
1: which is Bennett Foddy's new thing. Um mm. which we talked about a bit on the uh, crossover podcast. Um I have not played it and probably never will because uh in Bennett's own words, uh he made this game for a particular kind of person to hurt them. <laughs> and uh I am not that kind of person, but would still be hurt by it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> You're so sort of near that kind of person, close yeah. enough for the collateral damage.
1: Yeah, the kind of person it's made for is the kind of person who can't resist this kind of brutal challenge and mm-hmm. will, will still feel intense frustration when they lose all their progress. And I'm the kind of person who also doesn't enjoy that kind of Yeah. <laughs> challenge. It's the
0: um it's <laughs> the uh, dark souls of Quop.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um it's actually uh I don't think they mentioned this before, but it's based on an older game called Sexy Hiking, mm. which is a game maker um, thing. I don't know much about the history of it, whether it was like a free thing. It probably was because I think it was old enough that you couldn't recharge for indie games back then. Um, but yeah, I, I looked at a video of that today and it was it's remarkably similar. It is the same mechanic. It's, you know, a, a, in that there's no story about why you can't use your legs. You're just <laughs> a person um, who with a disembodied hands holding a hammer, like a, also a climbing pick, I guess. Um, and there's just a gap between your hands and your body, Rayman style. There just are no arms. Uh, whereas in Benefotti's thing, you're in a cauldron and you're holding a long sledgehammer type pick. Um, but functionally you're maneuvering this thing around yourself in order to hook onto the environment and drag yourself up, which is exactly how sexy hiking works. So it's kind of interesting.
0: Mm. Well, that's kind of what he does, right? It's like physicsy walking. Like what if walking was the <laughs> highest thing in the world? Yeah. Yeah. So that's. Was there anything else? I'm sure there was something else. There's the Portal Bridge Builder. Oh, yeah, there's a Portal game, but it's Bridge Builder.
2: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I Now what the fuck's going on there? It's, um I think, made by the same team who's made a Bridge Builder before. That makes sense. <laughs> and they've got Portal wrapping on it. I don't mm. know how much involvement Valve actually had. Yeah, this felt like a weird
1: thing where it wasn't clear. Almost every headline I saw was, There's a new Portal game, and it's this. (laughs) Um, Whereas it seemed more like there's a new bridge constructor game, and it's Portal themed. um, But I don't know anything about who
2: made it. I mean, they've got the fantastic art style from the Portal tutorial videos and level editor and the VR experiment thing that I can't Mm. remember. What was, like... The lab. Yeah, the flat stick men um, running around in trucks and things. It looks great, and I'll probably buy it on that alone, because I am shallow after all. <laughs> so. There was a Peggle game with portals-themed uh, <laughs>
1: levels um, and TF2-themed levels, I think. Mm. Um, I can't remember anything else about it, though.
0: <laughs> yeah, but I mean, you know, this was sort of advertised as like new p- portal game. I think mean, it would be more fair to say that it is portal-themed mm. bridge builder, which is not a bad yeah. thing, but, you know.
1: It's funny, Valve... Um, surprisingly sort of, uh, free and easy with their IP. Like they don't give it to anybody, but, uh, they do give it out in some surprising instances, mm. um, like this. And, um, they're often doing like crossover items. Um, mm. and, uh, I can't remember any other instances, so I'll well end the sentence there. <laughs> <laughs> there's,
0: been, there's been plenty of TF2 crossovers in other things, often kind of surprising things. Mm. Yeah. Like like card games. Yeah, yeah Poker Night a- at the Inventory would yeah. be the weirdest example of this.
2: Strange.
1: Yeah, I think that's it. It's, like, it's not so much that um, they don't give it out to uh, people who make bad things, and they don't give it out to like people with no reputation necessarily mm. but it's just surprising choices of who to like a poker game is not an obvious crossover with tf2 and a bridge constructor is not
0: an obvious crossover with paul yeah you get the impression that um a lot of these things emerge from like i suspect conversations in pubs that's, that's the feeling <laughs> yeah. i get right like i'm pretty sure the poker night of the inventory people are based in seattle um is it telltale Oh, it was Telltale, wasn't it? Jesus. Mm, yeah. Weirdly. Weirdly. another <laughs> yes. strange thing about that Yeah. Ah, <laughs> oh, I know. Yeah, no, I know why I thought it was that. Yeah, they they collaborated with a lot of different people on that, though. They had, you know, like Strong Bad and stuff in right. that as well.
1: Yeah, I know they worked with, um, the folks who made Defense Grid Hidden Path. Mm. Um, did they, like, start CSGO or something? Yes, they did. Yeah. And they're Seattle based, so I'm sure that was a, sort of, yes, a happy, um, uh, Crossover meeting. Mm. And yeah, just knowing how Valve works, the fact that, you know, everyone has a lot of freedom and there's very self-directed, uh, things happen because someone at Valve decides they should happen. Yeah, that's what I guess what
0: I mean, right? Of- like someone goes like, you know, what, it would be cool if we had the heavy from TF2 in our poker games. I just like, that sounds fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, finally there's, um, humanity is a trailer for that oh, today, yeah. which looks, Kinda cool.
1: Yeah, it's a amazing, a visually amazing, um, I assume it's a puzzle game. It, it looks mm. like, um. So it's a, apparently it's a crowd action game. <laughs> so it's like, uh, abstract geometric, uh, levels of like big pathways and stairways and stuff. And then they're just filled, just absolutely packed with little people. Yeah, like the crowd of scenes humans in, um, in like Hitman, mm. uh, Blood Money and, um, where it's just literally standing room only and, They are, they seem to be moving like lemmings, like they just move in a direction until told to do something else. And if there's a drop there, they just fall off to their deaths. (laughs) And, uh, like, but because of just the sheer numbers, there's something really distressing about watching it. It's like really really
0: dark. And they, they will fight, uh, initially fisticuffs and later with guns, um, crowds, equally dense crowds of business people.
2: Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know what was going on there exactly, but,
0: um, yeah, like, and it, there's obviously some kind of, like, redirecting the flow of the crowd and making them not fall off stuff or get squashed by bricks kind of thing. Deeply odd, mm. but kind of really striking trailer that we will link in the show notes. I don't
1: know anything about who is doing it. <laughs> the site is very mysterious and has, like, categories for movie and game and <laughs> something else. Mm, humanity, the movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Cool. Uh So there's one other bit of news that I wanted to get up at the top of the show. Um, this is actually more like uh, housekeeping, but I, for once I wanted us to do a tiny bit of housekeeping before I'm drunk. <laughs> uh, which is that announced today, formally, came out yesterday, sort of. Uh, Patreon, who obviously we rely on uh, to a great extent, are making some changes to the way Patreon works. And these changes are not great.
2: Um, Can you explain this to me in easy to understand words? Because yes. I just received an email from Patreon. Um kind of trumpeting it as if it was the best thing ever for everyone involved i don't think it's been messaged particularly well um on
0: so it would make so it's a change to the way patreon works that would make more money for i think it would make more money or more consistent money for uh people who use patreon uh as uh as creators i wanted to get around the buzzwordy word there but that's probably <laughs> the simplest way of putting it um and it will certainly make more money for patreon Um, It's not good for people who back things on Patreon, which is one of the things. So what it is, is instead of, I think, a variable fee on that you pay when you withdraw money from Patreon, um, creators will always now get 95% of any given donation. However, every single donation now carries a service charge of 2.9% plus 35 cents. So what this actively does is discourage uh lots of small donations mm. uh to creators that update frequently. Unfortunately, that accurately describes us.
1: And it's the patron who pays the extra charge, right? So you back up you back for one dollar and you end up paying one dollar. Yes. So the person five,
0: the, the yes, the, the person who is uh making the donation or, or paying, they are the people who this charge gets passed off on to, which means that and I imagine a lot of people are caught in this, if you back the Creighton Crowbar for a dollar. Um, in each case now that's going to be about like a dollar 37, uh, per episode, which over the course of a month adds up to an extra, an extra dollar and a half ish. So like, you know, your $4 a month, uh, Patreon, uh, pledge becomes essentially like a $5 40. I'm not going to do the maths, but you, guys, <laughs> you get what I'm saying. Um, and that money is just going to be Patreon. So that's obviously a bit crap it's a lot crap. Uh, And particularly for us, like if we were doing, you know, one thing every, uh, two months that people individually pledged, uh, you know, if we, if we did one every two months and people pledged, uh, $8, it'd be, it'd it'd feel the sting a lot less, but that's just simply not how we work because Patreon works off the basis of individual pieces that you do. And the logical thing for us is to say that the weekly podcast is the thing we do and everything else brings off that. And that's been Mm -hmm. our structure so far. Um, so, I think Tom, you wisely said that this is, there's been such a negative reaction to this from basically everybody as far as I can tell that, um, wouldn't be surprised to see this change or not happen at all. It's not due to kick in until December the 18th. Um, so what we are going to do is, particularly because it's such a busy time of year, Christmas and stuff coming up, we can't really make any huge changes to how we do things. And in any case, we're going to be putting out fewer things that we charge or we charge backers for in December anyway. So, uh, the, uh, we're not gonna make any changes immediately, but I wanted to sort of get out in front of it and sell our Patreon backers that if this concerns you and if this extra 35 cents per donation is likely to be a problem, please just stop backing us. Like that's, that's fine. Completely understand. It's not a choice we made to change it, but also I wouldn't want people to get charged more than they expect. So mm-hmm. that's completely fine. Um, and if it does stick like this, and it does cause a problem, then uh, we will just look into alternative ways of funding the podcast in the new year. And that's not, you know, an announcement one way or another, but it's just to reassure people that it's being considered, and we'll try and figure out the best way of best way of adapting to make sure people don't end up spending money that they don't intend to. Basically,
1: I think the uh, it's been interesting because the people I've seen bitching about it um, on Twitter are creators they're not the people backing it's mm. the people who actually aren't you know as creators you're not losing any money but it feels like your patrons are being screwed for supporting you mm. and that patreon are, are the ones who benefit from it
0: yes yeah and that's essentially it like i just really don't like the idea that i mean because we see this with patreon it's an interesting system and i like it as a in principle it's interesting watching how how uh, patron donations fluctuate and one of the reasons they fluctuate is that like it's because it's almost like a subscription service. There's definitely a, a degree to which, uh, immediately after, uh, Patreon pays out every month, um, your, uh, you lose, uh, subscribers. And that's very likely because people forget they're backing it and they go, Oh, I'm still backing that. And I haven't listened to creating crowbar in a month. So I'm going to cancel that for now, which is fine. And I completely get it. Like that, that makes complete sense. But people not only having that feeling of like, oh, I, you know, it's gone, that money's gone out, but also having, and I've just been stung for like an extra dollar hmm. 50 that I wasn't expecting. Like, yeah. I feel like, you know, you know, hopefully people feel the value of, of backing stuff in any case, but you kind of want to make sure that they're feeling the maximum value of it and having a decision made against your will that just charges people who support you more ain't great, basically. So mm-hmm. that's the thing. But yeah, just wanted to brief PSA. Bear in mind, that's a thing. Um We will do whatever is, you know, right for the pod, basically. It's a bit of a bummer. I should have done that at the end of the podcast when I was drunk. It's <laughs> funny. Um, let's talk about what we've been playing. Let's- John. <clears throat> Sorry, I put you at the worst possible moment there. Hi. Quiet cough. <laughs> what have you been playing?
2: I've been playing a game. Oh, Godly titled... Seven. The days long gone. Is that how many days are long gone? No, there's about two thousand <laughs> years long gone. Okay, so it's a bit off.
0: What? How, what, how many? What is? How many is seven?
2: <laughs> I don't know why it's called that. I, it's a really interesting game mm. um, that you get from seeing the very um, first time you see a trailer of it because it mashes up so much stuff. Uh, At its kind of core, it's a cross between um, a classic isometric RPG and a third-person action-adventure stealth game. So you're looking down on it as if you were playing Pillars or Divinity or something, but you've got direct control of your little guy who's um, sneaking around all over the place, jumping over small walls, mantling up big ones, that kind of thing. Um, And it's really fun to just break the kind of rules that you've been kind of indentured to Mm. over hundreds of years, (laughs) several hundreds and thousands of years, seven days. Um, yeah, I'm only a a few hours in, um, but it is fun. (laughs) It is kind of a little bit all over the place because it's smashing so many things together. Um, like, the 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 general interaction you have with everything, like I said, it's great. It's really nice to um come into, uh, like, someone's mansion where you're supposed to rob something and to just kind of turn around and jump on some boxes and then get up into the ventilation ducts and then run along the roof and stuff like that. Hmm. Whereas before, you're just, like, you're trying to look at this thing, like, right, I'm going to have to talk to that guy and pass a talking check and then, like, roll my stealth check and get across this bit. It's like, no, I'm just going to duck and dive and roll... Uh, And tumble across this uh, area. It's really nice. Mm. Um, Flipping of expectations and stuff. Is it sci-fi? It's everything. Okay. (laughs) And this is my main problem with it at the moment. It's fantasy and sci-fi combined. And for no particular reason, just because they thought it was cool, (laughs) I think it's technically post-post-apocalypse. If you can make it through the terrible lore intro... So there was some sort of magical apocalypse between a highly advanced technological race and demons, maybe? <laughs> and then everything went wrong and everything was a wasteland for a while. And then some champion who might be evil reunited all the tribes and blah, 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 blah. And now we have um, huge cyberpunk cities, which are like uh, little <laughs> chunks of Coruscant or something, uh, which is great for a really agile stealth game like that multi-tiered level design so you can jump up and down void guards and so on. Um, but then when you go through like a really techie prison area and there's just a wooden, a big wooden rack on the wall with like steel halberds and stuff. So <laughs> like this, this doesn't mean anything. You're just <laughs> slamming things together and then like you pass into another area and you go from like big techie fences and there's just like a picturesque um, like wattle and daub house. <laughs> it's like this. No, this, this is not like, this is not the poor option. This would be incredibly difficult to build. It yeah. would require
0: a lot of resources. Like Kevin McLeod over from Grand Designs, yeah. the expense of your cyberpunk wattle and Dorb house.
2: <laughs> it's just, yeah, that, that doesn't really work great. It's like some, I, yeah, like I said, I'm only a few hours, out, hours in, maybe they'll start drawing these threads together better at some point but at the moment it's kind of a scattershot approach Mm. um yeah someone just loaded up a blunderbuss with fantasy bollocks (laughs) shot it
0: in the aftermath of the asset
2: wars
0: (laughs) (laughs) that'd be a good idea it's a game set inside the unity asset store (laughs) where the people of the fantasy section do war with the prefabs of (laughs) something else i just uh read a big chunk of
1: um This Quake making of thing that Mm. Shaq News have been running. Is it Um, called the Quaking of? (laughs) <laughs> that would be great I don't think it is called that I think Shit. it's called Rocket Jump well, they, they fucked that <laughs> didn't they um, uh, and it's enormous and there's there's two chapters that you can read free but yeah the development of that game it was supposed to be a and d fantasy game mm. originally and then just kind of morphed over development um, through <laughs> basically lack of direction back into Doom basically <laughs> yeah that was like a big point of contention amongst the team is um, you know it started out with like "It are going to do something new they're going to do um, fantasy because they keep jumping genres and stuff uh, or settings and um they worked that's why like the levels are all kind of castles and um all the textures well, most of the textures are made as like stone and rivers and grass and stuff um uh, but then they didn't really have they couldn't really settle on like gameplay at one point it's gonna have like side scrolling beat-em-up type sections <laughs> like it'll be first person then when you meet an enemy you're going to side side on view right. and you, you do like fighting <laughs> game moves um and when they didn't they thought that was too ambitious and they eventually just like started adding guns because they will love guns (laughs) and then they just ended up with like well i guess we've got some sci-fi guns in a fantasy setting and this guy just made a bunch of like space station type levels so (laughs) we'll put those in as well and yeah just uh, completely coalesced randomly so maybe that happened here
0: (laughs) it's kind of weird though because quake has a very specific aesthetic to me that completely works as a kind of discrete thing because it's so weird
1: i think um it's a strange artifact of just them being so far ahead of everyone else in technology that mm. they could do whatever they want and it would still be great. <laughs> like they could have just, um, artistically done any old mishmash of anything. And because it was so graphically, uh, impressive and also they had good gameplay sensibility and you know, they knew, they knew to make something fun. Um, we would have lapped it up anyway. And so that lets them do really, or it's ended up feeling really unique that mm. it's like the, the, stru- the quirky thing about Quake is that's, both those settings mashed together and in a way that I think did work I don't think even looking back on it now I don't think oh that's a horrible ugly mess it does feel like there's something like maybe because of the limited texture palette but even the sci-fi things feel kind of earthy and like grimy and mm. um, they fit with the, the castle things even though you know there's a technology clash
0: hmm.
2: yeah like it, this isn't this. yeah it's not an ugly game as such it just offends my aesthetic sensibility <laughs> um, they've also got um, this kind of comic book outline shader that runs over everything. I They maybe did this to try and um, make sure everything kind of pops and has clarity because you can zoom out quite far and still play it um, with direct control. Um, but it kind of makes everything look edgy and sooty and dark and gribbly hmm. and it, it's kind of backfired. There's a few, I've seen a few areas where they forgot to apply this thing um, to their models and textures and so on. And in my opinion, it looks much better. Right
0: now, so. <laughs> I mean, there's a law reason for this. It's one of the consequences of the asset wars. Some people <laughs> walk around without without incorrect because they can't afford the shaders. <laughs> I'm building a Cyberpunk
2: Unity store dystopia here. And, uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Stealth wise, it breaks one of your cardinal rules where, um, Enemies can find bodies. Oh, no. And you can't move them. No! <laughs> um, How dare they? I think the majority of the time, they do something that I've only seen in No One Lives Forever, weirdly, where a guard will come up and be panicked and will kind of look around. And then will say, essentially, this is too much paperwork to deal with and just, like, dissolve the body with something. <laughs> it's just a weird touch. Is that, like... Is it okay then? Like,
1: are
0: they
2: not alerted? It's kind of fine because they've done bit. a
0: crime. Then. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, if they a guard this together, if a guard <laughs> catches them doing that, then that guard <laughs> shoots that guard, and then they have to dissolve that body. Then another guard <laughs> finds it, like, you end up with a culpability spiral. Uh,
2: the game's really, really bad at explaining um, anything beyond basic movement. Um, like three hours in, I've only just discovered through randomly clicking on all the menus, that you have a teleport ability. (laughs) Um, Nowhere near as powerful or kind of essential to the stealth game as Blinkers and Dishonored or anything like that. But suddenly there's opportunities opening up. Um, I'm excited to find other hidden menus, (laughs) um, which might make the game a whole lot better.
0: So what is it that's good
2: about it? You said you were having fun with it. I think it's mostly... um, it's relatively free form. There's big open levels in multiple tiers. I think I've uh, one of the first hub, um, locations. So I'm picking up, um, quests and so on. And, um, that means like hopping over a fence somewhere and doing a little bit of sneaking and then grabbing whatever you want, coming back and upgrading your gear. And it's kind of got that Diablo loop, but with sneaking mm. instead. Um, Mm. Yeah, I'd like to. Definitely going to give it a chance to go back and play a lot more. Um, see if it goes anywhere. See if it falls into the Technomancer trap. What's that? that apparently amazing. Apparently, games designers have problems with the Technomancer concept. Right. Like the sci fi wizard thing. Oh, right. Okay. Um, yeah. I'm mostly basing this on the last game with the Technomancer in it called The Technomancer, mm. um, which was Pants. <laughs> <laughs> Are you just one person in this? Yes. And do you get to choose your character in any? Way? Nope. Um I don't know if your character is so integral to the masterful story they're telling that they couldn't possibly let you have some customization, <laughs> Or just that it was hard. <laughs> or that voice acting is expensive and mm-hmm. they had to call you um Terriel? Terriel. Terry <laughs> L. Terriel. Terriel. <laughs> but you have to say it in uh, kind of faux cockney by someone who's never been to London. Terriel. Terry all like everyone talks like that so far. You talk to your mate in the thieves guild. And it's like Terry all let's go break in. Yeah. Where, where are you from? He's from that Wattlandor cottage over
0: there <laughs> in cyber Fulham.
2: Yeah. It's a really interesting experiment and I'm glad they were brave enough to slam so many things together and see what works. Mm. I'd like to go and see if any of it works. <laughs>
0: That's seven Days Long Gone.
2: Days Long Gone? Is
0: Is it seven the Days Long Gone? Yes. Seven, okay. That's better because then it doesn't read as seven days long gone. Right, yeah. But it sort of sounds a little bit sort of uh, like, um, sort of... uh, like, hark the herald angels sing. kind of.
2: Like
0: <laughs> um, it, what What manner of, um, this is the least important question, but I've started asking it, so I'll finish. Um, what manner of punctuation are we talking? Are we talking a colon? Is it like seven colon the days on gone?
2: Uh, no, it's blank. It's left entirely up to seven you. Seven
0: the days on gone? Yeah. Oh, wow.
2: Wow.
0: Uh, it's mostly like font changes. That is actually so. a very, that's a brave. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so hang on. So it's made clear by the, mm. is it even capitalized seven or is it a numeral seven or is it just it. seven written out?
2: No, it's full caps except for the V which is slightly larger than the rest of it. Okay. Oh. How does this affect Steam? <laughs> I'm fascinated by this because this <laughs> seems ungooglable. <laughs> I'm not sure. I looked at right. the picture, not the word. Okay. Sorry. That's, a, that's such a you thing to say. <laughs> yeah. a,
1: I understand that 7 was taken. They couldn't just call it 7. Mm. But could they have just called it The Days Long Gone? There can't be that many... many Would that have clashed with a Heim album? <laughs> I don't know. Actually, good. I think that might have done.
2: Days ago. Yeah, <laughs> They're not good at words in general. Like, yeah, you played Terry O. And my principal adventures so far have been in a place called Peh. (laughs) (laughs) That's the noise you make when you can't give a shit. (laughs) I was giving up on the name. What's Peh like? It's um, a prison colony on an island somewhere, which is made up of shanty towns in impeccably um, built brickwork houses surrounded by Technomancer installations.
0: (laughs) Okay. So you you
2: so you're only sent to PE if you've
0: done a crime.
2: Uh Yes. Okay. And you have done a crime. Oh. Unavoidably so.
0: Right. Hmm.
2: That's great. Actually,
0: I laughed at first, but that's <laughs> it <got a laughs> now rock. it's good. Yeah, now it's good. Um, I've actually been playing a game with some phenomenal writing, but I don't mean that at all. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> I, maybe I do. So I have played. I've played through the the Destiny Two expansion, uh, Curse of Osiris, um, and I don't. I'm not sort of mega interested in, in banging on about Destiny Two again, uh, given that we Tom and I, Tom S and I, spoke about it last week uh, with this expansion on the horizon. Uh, needless to say, uh, it's made the internet men furious, and probably we could, I don't know. Um, <laughs> like it's all right. Um, so as Destiny expansions go, it's kind of interesting. I think it's interesting specifically because this is the first Destiny expansion the PC players will be getting. And the things that are good about it, I think... Um, well, okay, so Destiny is an excellent shooter, and it has phenomenal art and great music. And this expansion has all of those things. It has fantastic-looking environments and great music, and uh, the shooting is amazing as ever. I mean, it's more of the same amazing shooting. Like, they haven't done anything spectacularly original with it, and it's it's more destiny Um, but you know, it ticks those boxes and I think that elevates it to a certain degree because it really does look incredible. And you know, even when it's dragging you back through environments you've already been to in destiny Two, there's an element of like, fuck me, this looks amazing. So that's all good. Um, it's not the kind of, um, shot in the arm that people feel like the game needed because of the various progression systems. And I think it does highlight some problems, uh, with those kinds of things. So it is a new kind of mini campaign and a new pretty small open world area. Uh, and, uh, which is on Mercury, uh, which is really cool. And, um, there's, you know, a new adventure to go on and some new environments to see and to new, some new incredible lines of writing, uh, which I would like to get to. Um, but beyond that is also sort of like an expansion to the end game and the kind of typical kind of like with every Destiny expansion, this is the rhythm. They move the level cap up a little bit and a new tier of gear, and you chase after the new thing. Mm. You know, if if uh, in uh, World of Warcraft days, you paid your monthly subscription, and every couple of months, a new raid came out, or a new level dungeon, or a new raid gear tier, or something, and you chased that. In Destiny, you don't pay a subscription, but every three or four, every six months, actually, it's usually about every six months, uh, a pack comes out, which costs about 15, 20 quid, and you get that instead and that extends the level cap so it's functionally it's world of warcraft right like it's, mm. it's the same model just in, expressed in a different way um one thing that's a little bit strange about it uh which has definitely it, it, it's got people writing op-eds i don't think it's quite op-ed worthy as a <laughs> phenomena um, but destiny 2 has a largely benign loot box system like loads of cosmetic items crammed in a chest and you get one of them every time you level up past the level cap so you know you're getting them pretty quickly uh that's fine The issue is that they have crammed like most of the rewards in the game into that loot chest system now. So by doing the quests and the end game content and the the strikes and the raids and that kind of thing, you don't really get anything except Mm. some stuff and more XP. The kind of rare stuff is actually hidden in the loot chests from a cosmetic point of view. Obviously power enhancing things are all through regular play, Mm -hmm. but games have traditionally used end game activities as a kind of like or have used cosmetics as a way to reward you for like you've done this rare thing you get to look like this Mm -hmm. 90 percent of that stuff is in the loot chests which means that its distribution is functionally random and that just kind of doesn't work Mm -hmm. you know it's, it's obviously some part of the the great last two and a half years of loot box theory craft the how do we make infinite money from this system kind of gold rush that has clearly happened in every major studio this is one of activision's attempts at it and it seems to be collapsing everywhere at the same time for different <laughs> reasons. Either it's actively hurting the game one way. I don't think it actively hurts Destiny 2 beyond simply making the game feel less. Well, not actively hurts in a kind of, you know, you can't compete or you can't feel like you're being successful kind of way. But it does certainly hurt the sense of how special it feels to have certain things. Because mm. it's not really connected to what you've achieved. It's just connected to... Every couple of hours of play, you level up and you get one pull on the random distribution lever and sometimes it spits out a cool spaceship and you're like, I've got this now. But it doesn't feel anything like having the cool raid ships in Destiny 1 did.
1: You yeah, know, I thought that was weird when TF2 did their items when they launched it first because people have these wildly different play styles and they'll invest differently in different characters. But when you find a hat, you can just find the rarest spy hat mm. ever immediately as a first-time player who's never played spy before just by killing some people as a heavy mm. and then you get to wear that and everyone's like oh wow like if, if that did mean something it would be re- a really cool thing to be wearing the rare spy hat and show how good you are at spy but instead it was just like well yeah. that's a person who received an item at one point
0: and i think traditionally <laughs> games have managed a balance of this Like, there's been some rare things that you get in that way and there's been some rare things that you get through play and it's up to you to kind of express yourself in whatever way and this feels like the needle has just swung down that gradient a little bit too far And that is genuinely a bit of a shame. Uh, similarly, you know, there's plenty of things that don't, like, this expansion will have been well in the works by the time the game was released. So this is not the one where they're capable of responding to a lot of the criticism. And this was, I mean, it's funny watching history repeat itself, but this is exactly the arc of the first game. It's, it, this is a lot better than the equivalent expansion for Destiny 1 was. Um, but it's also not like, given that, you know, the conversation had already started about like, how are they gonna save Destiny 2? it's not the kind of step forward that it requires. That's all kind of fine. And I think, you know, I think uh, I sort of don't see, I don't really have a problem with the fact that this is the sort of thing that you just get if you're into the game and you play it frequently. I know it's an expense, but I do think that relative to like map packs for Call of Duty or kind of similar seasonal um, expansions for shooters, it's, it's a lot better value really in terms of what you get for the money than that kind of thing. Also, I've always thought of it as the, essentially the subscription fee for what is an MMO. So sans that in another context, I, I never really minded buying the season pass and just getting these things as they roll out. Mm. That's a, you know, that's not a kind of, maybe it's, yeah, I think it is possible to be more kind of astute and critical than that about these things. But if you play the game and you like the game and you play the game ref frequently, then I don't think it, you know, it's just the new season you're entering into and you pay a certain amount for the entry fee. It does make the base game less valuable. Because inevitably there's now a kind of level of the game beyond where you can get to that is just cut off to you anyway, one thing I thought was interesting about it um apart as the story of Destiny Two kind of unfolds, and not just the story of the characters in the game but the game itself. Destiny Two is the story of them taking everything that people said that was wrong with Destiny One and make unpacking it and making it more accessible and somehow finding out that, that was a bad thing. So they balanced the loot system and suddenly nothing means anything anymore because it's not fucking broken as fuck. <laughs> um And in this case, the one thing they've done with destiny Two is be a lot more adventurous with the storytelling and imply a lot less and try and show a lot more in, about the kind of the sci-fi universe that they've created, which I like very much despite how dumb it can be sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like, how, or, you know, um, And this is really interesting because this, this uh, expansion is all about, a character called Osiris who is uh implied a lot in the first game and existed as this kind of, like, idea. Uh, and you get to meet him. He's in the opening cutscene of this. He plays a fairly substantial role in it. And Destiny 1 did all of its storytelling with kind of level design implication and bits of text in an app. That was individually good, like, hundred word snippets of sci-fi writing, and left the rest of your imagination. And as a result, it was amazing. (laughs) (laughs) And Destiny 2 has walked, like, has has set itself the challenge of like, that's not good enough. You know, we know the tiny percentage of people who actually dig into this kind of thing. We're gonna, we're gonna make that story, the stuff people actually really took from Destiny 1, we're gonna make that the main event. Which on paper, is a really, really good idea. However, it doesn't really work. Because you end up, so, uh, you know, this focuses on Osiris and uh, an enemy that he's associated with who are the Vex, who are these kind of time traveling robots that may or may not be simulating the reality that you occupy. And that's been one of so Destiny 1's kind of core things. And it opens with a really fan servicey uh, uh, reference to Destiny 1. This is one thing that's interesting about it being the first expansion for the first game to come out on PC is I think a lot of its best ideas from a storytelling point of view are, will mean absolutely nothing to you if you didn't play destiny one and whole chunks of its resolution. Don't make any sense if you didn't play destiny one, which I think is a little bit shit for PC players mm. who really it doesn't catch you up on that stuff. Uh, characters refer to things that happened in destiny one, but all things that were implied in destiny one, but they'll, they'll never catch you up on it. It is a trip to the wiki for you. Um, but for that reason, I don't feel really, too bad sort of explaining kind of what happened. So it opens with,
2: um. Well, sorry, very briefly, they yeah. had that problem with Halo. It's not, it's certainly not the same 343, certainly 3, so mm. isn't Bungie or whatever, but, um, Halo certainly between a bunch of the main games, um, lost me completely. And then you go back and realize, oh, you should have read the Intermeaning two novels mm. <laughs> to mm. work out what the hell happened here. Mm. But, sorry. Don't no, me. no, no. It's a good point. Like,
0: and it's an interesting one because, um, so uh I think I mentioned it before in like The Vault of Glass was Destiny One's first raid. Really phenomenal statement for that game. I feel like everyone who loved Destiny One despite its problems loved it because they played it enough to play the first raid, which was just like you'd never seen anything like this before. And it was this sort of descent into this um uh kind of cave follow time, where you're kind of like travelling, you know, the whole notion was that they even had an explanation for why you can attempt the same raid over and over again, because um you it was a sort of sci-fi about timelines and kind of different causal realities and all of this kind of thing happening at the same time. And the intro cutscene to uh Curse of Osiris is on paper, it's just uh six Guardians, like the main characters of the game, running into a huge firefight with the Vex, and then time stops, and Osiris steps through a portal and starts rearranging the firefight so the Guardians win, and then something happens and that spurs the adventure. If you played Destiny 1, you know that the room he's in is the Vault of Glass, and mm. you, it's it's one particular encounter in the Vault of Glass that you're now seeing in a kind of cinematic way, and the whole implication is that's your raid team from the first game, and that he was there the whole time, kind of manipulating probability, which is super cool, right? Like, but if you didn't play Destiny 1, it's completely meaningless. Mm. It's just a, a man does a space thing. And its problems kind of spiral out in a really interesting way because it really wants to make those big ideas about time travel and things like that, like the core of the experience you're having. But it's still destiny. It's still a shooter about shooting robots and standing on plates. And that's the two things you do. Sometimes you shoot a box and and then sometimes you go on a jump pad and then you shoot the robots again. And there's a great, there's a great moment later on where someone tells you like, you know, in this, in this part of the in this in this part of the vex consciousness they have responsive algorithms that will put, construct the perfect security response to anything you do so if you're going to survive you have to be unpredictable and then you just jump on jump pads and stand on plates and shoot robots <laughs> and shoot boxes for like five minutes and they're like wow you've destroyed time <laughs> and like and it, it um And uh, this all coalesces for me in one of what I think might be, might be the perfect bit of destiny writing. Um, so, uh, like, so the previous perfect bit of destiny writing was that wizard came from the moon, (laughs) uh, which was, I mean, it's a perfectly true statement in the context where it appears. This one has also said by the ghost who, uh, is your kind of floaty companion, uh, who I think might just be an idiot. They might just be seeding the fact that the ghost is an idiot. That, that would actually explain a lot of destiny's writing. Um, But the line is, and I fucking love this, you enter this vast sort of Dyson Sphere multiple reality simulator complex and Ghost says, it's called the Infinite Forest. And he says, the Infinite Forest, it's huge. (laughs) 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 And it gets better the more you think about it. (laughs) It's like, it's huge, but also impossibly small. But also, it's like, it can't be infinite and just very big. It turns out it's just quite, it's quite big and there are floating islands in it. But uh yes. Also it does, uh, you know, towards the end, a man does bellow, give me back my ghost, which I did enjoy, but nothing will top the infinite forest. It's huge for me in terms of writing that is so bad. It's good, but bad <laughs> fundamentally. Um Yeah. It's all right. <laughs> In conclusion, it's fine. Tell me what Mercury looks like. So, uh, this is again, great example. So Mercury, um, is obviously very hot. Mm. It's time travel robot. So geometry space Egypt. <laughs> right. <laughs> um there are reasons for why it looks the way it looks because the idea is this is these robots have turned it into a giant machine for mm. simulating different realities right so there's lots of kind of robot geometry uh-huh. um and triangles and big glimmery portals like 80s kind of laser grid things you also see a terraformed mercury at a point in the past which looks amazing hmm. like all just sort of like Uh, destiny has like the strongest line in um sci-fi 70s paperback cover just art like the skyboxes and phenomenal skyboxes it really Mm. is great for that stuff like the artistry that goes into that isn't to be underestimated like Mm. they do when they fuck up they fuck up like in things that actually like like that really do matter like you know lines of dialogue or progression systems and things like that but i still don't think like Given the choice between playing a sort of a, a shooter that doesn't look like that and playing Destiny, I find that choice really easy to make because it just you look at it and it's just like it's so much like they're so much more playful with their palette and their kind of sense of space. Like you know, Bungie kind of emerged into public consciousness for just make for that one screenshot everyone took where you can see the ring of Halo kind of stretching out onto mm-hmm. the horizon and the fact that it can make you feel like you're in a much bigger, more grand place than you're actually in, and that it's much more imaginative as well. And it's still fucking great at that. Like,
1: I like that th- they with Halo, they, their big thing was like it's this giant ring, and the Destiny, the big thing is this giant sphere. Yeah, no, <laughs> We've really just got the one shape, but we'll just look at it from
0: different angles. Well, honest to God, like I wrote something for PC Gamer recently about the lore of Destiny 2, which has been a bit harder. Like it was one of the things that we were planning to write, but like you know, literally Destiny is the the story of big shapes in space. Like it's the war, it's triangles versus circles.
1: Have you seen the Hudsucker Proxy? Yes the bit where is it Tim Robbins just draws a circle on a piece of paper and points at it and says, you know, for kids, <laughs> That's the yeah, exactly. you know, for gamers. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: It is, it is space ball. And like, you know, and in this, you get a rare glimpse of space ball in a different context, which is like, Ooh, law. It's good. like, yes, it's, it's just, I mean, I really do defend games when they're simply like good experiences. I think I've defended battlefront two on that basis on the last mm. podcast. So maybe this is just the month where Chris rolls up to defend triple a, <laughs> uh, shooters because what they look nice and i mean i'm a simple man but like there's a i do i'm always impressed by the artistry that goes into these things and like it's just got have you played destiny john no you really should i think mm. just because i know you like good industrial sci-fi design oh yes. and it's just fucking full of it mm. like you'll keep guns even though they're bad just because the artistry that has gone into designing the physical thing that you're holding mm. is just like amazing given that they also have to stretch that stuff over a loot system that has so many different designs in it there's so much variety like and they create meaningful kind of just textural kind of differences between guns from different manufacturers and little details like the gun where the, manuf- the manufacturer who makes guns where the ammo is liquid and there is literally a little bubble you can see filling up and draining as you fire it. And the color of the liquid in it is based on the damage type of the gun and that's calculated dynamically. And it's like, if you change the damage type, you can see it change. Like, yeah. it's just full of that stuff. That sounds just, great. Yeah. Good, good soundtrack as well. Although Curse of Osiris does really lean on on its one kind of, um, like, Curse of Osiris theme motif that it plays at the start of every mission to let you know it's happening to the point where you go like, oh, I get it. This is the theme for this expansion. So maybe it's that. But yeah. Anyway, I've rambled enough about it because everybody who knows if they're going to buy this has already bought it. <laughs> <laughs> Rendering this pointless.
2: How's the... Um, I think you've talked about how Destiny 2 is less sticky. Mm. How's the value proposition? Um, I, you
0: know, like, I still think it's very good. And I've said this on the pod before, that I think if a game can hold your attention happily for 50 hours, it's fine. That's Mm. fine. And, like, I don't know how sticky it will be after a certain point. I'm likely going to play all of the single-player stuff. I'm going to see everything and then probably stop playing it again. And I can't, because my life has changed in a bunch of ways, I mean I can't just play Destiny for an hour every day. Like, I don't... No, I suspect it's not sticky yet. It does Mm. sound like it has some problems. It sounds like they've added a gun to the Crucible, the PvP mode that has just broken it again. This happens every now and then in Destiny.
2: It's what the people want apparently yeah exactly <laughs> uh
0: well, they're complaining about it but i can't tell like the complaints seem to be divided between De- destiny one star complaints and destiny two star complaints um as bungie enter the you desperately cannot win now spiral <laughs> of a difficult second album um which is weird because their first album was difficult <laughs> so yeah basically i really don't envy their position at the moment because it's just like yeah, I suspect the entire loot box thing was misjudged, not from a "you're rinsing players and ripping them off" kind of way, but because it encourages you to put rewards in in a place where it's actually deeply unsatisfying to get them. Mm. Which is just basically we now enter part five of reasons loot boxes are bad: a multifaceted collapse of one idea. <laughs> Anyhow, Tom F, yeah, what have you been playing?
1: I'm playing two things. Uh, one is sorcery. Yeah. Yeah, it's got an X band, so I have to <laughs> say it like that. Um, which is the, um, choose your own adventure game. Um, uh, based, I guess, on a Steve Jackson thing. Um, mm. Mm. Uh, it's, is it fighting fantasy? Does anyone know? Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. Cause fighting fantasy is like a franchise, right? That is, yeah. um, and, uh, is
2: there a book? Called Sorcery? Yeah, I think it's supposed to be a okay. fairly faithful um, translation.
1: Right, because I was pretty familiar with like the original run of Fighting Fantasy books and read those as a kid. Um, and this is a game adaptation of that by Inkle who did 80 Days. Hmm. Um, wow, well, that's a good map. Uh, so yeah, they're very good at this, exactly this kind of thing. Um, Isn't this really old? Yeah, it's pretty old. <laughs> but I think there's been, there's at least six of them. Um, and th- I'm playing the first one for the first time. Uh, it was something that like, uh, I think not too long ago within the last year maybe i saw john walker reviewing the latest one of these mm. on, on ips and uh he loved it and he's loved all of them and um so i made a mental note to check it out and um i'm actually playing on my phone but it is on uh, steam as well um and i kind of wish i'd played on steam instead because it's slightly too small to read mm. comfortably on a phone uh, even on my annoyingly big phone <laughs> um so yeah it's a chooser own adventure just with you know all that, uh, fiddly stuff handled for you, um, like keeping track of your stamina and, uh, and how many provisions you have and that kind of stuff. Um, I was interested to see how they did combat because, uh, that was, you know, rolling dice in the Final Fantasy books. In this, uh, you, uh, decide how hard you want to hit the enemy. <laughs> and if you choose zero, then, you are defending, and however, however hard you hit them, it's like a it's a sort of a bar that you just choose how much of that bar you want to use. Um, that consumes a certain amount of your energy. I don't think it's stamina. I think stamina is something different. Stamina is your your hit points, uh, but there's some other like attack energy or something. And so, if you use a full bar, you haven't actually used all of your energy for the whole fight or anything, but you've used a lot of it. And next time, you won't be able to do a full strength attack if you defend um i think no matter what you do maybe you gain a little bit of um of energy back but if you defend you don't expend any energy at all so that's the most energy you can get back is if you just defend and you you are told in text what it looks like your opponent is going to do um and sometimes i think i'm right in saying well sometimes they give me text cues that does not really tell me conclusively what they're going to do um and so I don't know if it's always possible to deduce from the text what, what the opponent's next move will be. Um, but basically if they are going to defend, you want to either defend yourself or do like a very light attack. Actually, a very light attack is the best in that situation because you, you'll always do, um, like one point of damage or something, um, some minimum amount. And if they're defending, doesn't matter how strong your attack is, you'll only do that minimum damage. So a big attack is a waste of your energy. Um, if they're going to do like a 50% strength attack you want to do a 51% strength attack but obviously you don't get that kind of precise information you just you see oh they're tensing up for a big strike and you don't know like some of them have different maximum strength so you know if their maximum strength is less than you if you do a maximum strength strike you'll always beat them uh, but it will use up a lot of energy um and i quite like that system it's it's interesting I, I haven't played with it enough to know how much information you really get and that'll obviously determine a lot of it if you're literally told every time exactly you know, if it's possible to conclude from the text exactly what they will do, it would be a bit mechanical. Um so I think I've definitely had ones who are like, oh, you see they're they're sidling to the left. And it's like, well, this is not a combat system that lets me defend from a certain <laughs> angle. Does that mean they're gonna attack from the left? Or I think I would not be surprised if there are some that are just inconclusive. It's just like they say that and you don't know what it means. Mm. Um anyway, my adventure so far is um uh I like the the vibe of it. the The text is um is kind of short and to the point, and I I've kind of missed this like really traditional fantasy adventure mm-hmm. thing that I used to get out of the Final Fantasy books, like fighting fantasy books. Sorry, <laughs> not Final Fantasy. <laughs> um, and yeah, you're an adventurer in a village. You're venturing out to get the legendary crown or whatever, and everyone's like um. Kind of nervous for you and um helping you, uh, giving you provisions and uh, training you up and make sure you know how to cast spells and stuff. And then you go out of the gate and you decide which way you want to, which route you want to take. And my adventure so far is like, I walked ahead a little bit and immediately found some stinking corpses that made, uh, gave me a permanent debuff to my maximum stamina <laughs> because the stench was so bad. And so then I went uh, off into the, the wilderness or uh, the countryside to kind of, um, uh, cause the path to my destination looked too long and that was a choice I made and, uh, headed north and then just on the map, like the, the interface for it is you're looking at a map most of the time and then when you arrive at a, at a encounter, it goes to text and then you choose what to do in the text and then maybe that takes you to combat or not. Um, and yeah, when I chose countryside, my character just went really far north and I thought I was trying to get east and, then I had the option to like go along the riverbank instead. So I went along the riverbank. And, um, from that point it was like either go back to this village that I hadn't ever been to or check out these people I'd seen on the river. And I didn't really want to check out the people in the river, but the way the only other option was to go back to this village. that just seemed to be totally the wrong direction. So, um, I checked out the people on the river and they seemed to be fishing and, Uh, I investigated more closely and then just fell down a slope (laughs) and I chose to try and stop myself with my sword because I looked into like oh you can cast a spell if you want but I looked up what the spells were and they all cost three stamina and I thought I'm not going to lose a lot more than three stamina from this fall anyway so it would be pointless to spend it to try and save myself um so I stuck my sword in and it turns out I was falling down rock. So I just blunted my sword and then fell full force. Then an elf knocked me out. <laughs> and then I, I woke up imprisoned by the elves. So much the um, tolerant elf. <laughs> yes. Uh, I woke up imprisoned by the elves and, uh, they stole all of my money and all of my rations, which happens to be the only two things I had. <laughs> and, uh, now I'm just, uh, heading off back to the village that I was refusing to go back to in the first place. (laughs) So that's the totality of my adventure in sorcery. Um, it hasn't gone great, but I am technically still alive. (laughs) (laughs) Don't leave home is the answer. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I like it too. Cause, um, everyone makes a big deal of you leaving. They're all kind of rooting for you. And I even just before this encounter, um, I said oh you, there's a long wall running along this this area and you can either proceed or you can look along the wall I looked along the wall and it led back to the settlement they left and you can see a, a figure up on the top of the battlements uh, like watching you and you know it's like one of your friends from back in the city and they're special people who can like see they have telescopic vision they can see as far as they as they want and so, for that, that was immediately before I got of the, I like fell down and oh got knocked out with the elves. The oh god! Yeah,
0: like, we're all rooting for you, and then everyone, everyone
1: watches you just fall. Down the hill. <laughs> just imagine him like slowly rubbing his forehead. <laughs> yeah. Oh come
0: on! Head in his hands.
1: Uh, I also played a little bit of Shadow Hand just before it came out, mm. um, which is the new thing from the creators of Regency Solanta- Solitaire. Uh, which was the solitaire game set in high society in Bath.
0: <laughs> yes. Where we are. Um, but in the past, not in, it's not like in yeah, waitrose. Yeah. Uh, I just assumed it was implicit in high society that <laughs> that
1: meant the past. <laughs> so yeah. Clearly that's the, um, anachronism. Um, in this one, you are a highway woman. <laughs> Your origin story for becoming a highway woman is hilariously flimsy. <laughs> it's like, uh, this lady you're traveling with gets um, possibly kidnapped, and so you just become a highway woman on the spot. <laughs> just well, I'll take this guy's clothes and this pistol, and <laughs> off I go. <laughs> um, and then your, your actual encounters with bandits and stuff—you seem to be encountering bandits rather so than you're a
0: highway woman, but you rob well bandits.
1: Yeah, I guess maybe you're a highway woman in kind of aesthetic, and not so much in purpose. You are trying to find your friend, like um, Batman yeah just like batman (laughs) it's basically a batman game but they couldn't get the license so instead you dress as a highway woman and play card games against the bandits you encounter um and the card game is there's an elaborate stack of cards uh with the top one on each pile being face up and there is a card at the bottom of the screen and so far suits have not mattered at all and all that matters is like if there's a three at the bottom of the screen uh, you could turn over any two or any four on the deck. So um, uh, you can't turn over another three and you can't turn over any other number. So it's like it has to be exactly one more or exactly one less in number and suit doesn't matter. And so in most situations, there is uh, a lot of the time there's zero choice. There's nothing you can turn over that you know, mm-hmm. there are just no available cards that are that. So you just have to pass your turn. Um if there is one to turn over, then obviously you just have to turn over that. There's no point in not doing that. You just do it. Um, and if there are some face-down cards below it, then it will reveal those, and then you now you can play those, and they, they might be... Um, uh, the one you turn over becomes the new card at the bottom of the screen. So if you turn over a three, um, then if there happened to be a four beneath it, great, you can play that four, because now three is the one at the bottom of the screen. Mm. Um and so on. So if you if you happen to see like a whole arrangement of like oh there's a three here, a four there, a five there, and then another five there, but then a, f- a four here, and then a, um, you can plan ahead your route. But uh, most of the time there is not that. There is just like only one choice, or that maybe there's two choices, but neither of them are going to turn over any cards at all. So no new things will happen at all. Um, and. So basically, it's incredibly luck-dependent. I think, as far as I can tell, it, it is just a random shuffle of the deck. It's not... Mm. Uh, if the game is doing any fudging of these numbers, I haven't detected it. Um, and if it is doing any fudging, it's failing to fudge it in a desirable way because I just outright failed, like, two of the introductory fights. You know, in the first, like, five you do, it feels like a, a mm. kind of a tutorial chapter. And I just... I did the only thing I could do at every juncture, and I just lost the fight. <laughs> just... I, I don't know what you want from me. then. like, that was it. Mm. Uh, it has loads of, mm. Sorry. has loads of uh mechanics that have not come into fruition yet. Like uh I've got a pistol and in, um, in the normal game mode, you are facing off against somebody. And so we, you do as many of these as you can, uh, turning over cards and doing that charges up your pistol. And if it happens to uh reach full charge, then you can fire your pistol and you do three damage against the, uh, the enemy. Um, but if you uh, run out of cards to play, you have to end your turn and then they can do however many they can do given a different card at the bottom of the screen. So sometimes they just get a really good card that happens to relate to loads of the ones on the screen or there's a really good chain they can do from there. Um, and there's just nothing you can do about that either. <laughs> and so it's clear that like later on there'll be, you find new weapons and weapons have different properties and like enemies have armor ratings and you can penetrate armor and stuff. Um, so... Eventually, it's clear to me that there'll at least be choices of which weapon do I fire, mm. uh, to do, um, the most damage against this opponent. I don't know. I do, I've got one ability where I've only just got this, where, um, once it's charged, I can, it's a horse and it runs around and randomly removes two cards. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, that's nice.
0: <laughs> Hang on. So you charge the horse. Yep. And then and then, the horse removes... So the card doesn't... So hang on.
1: It actually... The horse just runs away, then lightning strikes two cards. <laughs> I don't know how That's it's tra- causing that. Questions?
0: So I kind of understand the card game being a kind of abstract kind of competition mechanic that powers your weapons, but the weapons are the thing actually happening in the duel. Basically, I'm trying to understand the mechanics of fighting in this universe. Mm. Is it... Kind of are the cards real? That's kind of what I'm getting at. <laughs> and if the cards are real, how are they, I mean, how does a, they get by lightning because a horse ran away? But also, basically, question mark above my head. I think it's purely abstract in
1: terms of, um, how the cards relate to the combat. Mm. Uh, I don't think the cards do physically exist. I don't think you challenge the bandit to a game of cards. I think you are trying to shoot them. And then the way the game is,
0: is, right,
1: representing combat is.
0: Um, so, in some ways, the, cards. the fleeing of the horse represents a kind of loss of opportunity or a distraction. <laughs> I but, think it's your
1: horse, and it like once it's done that, you could, it will continue to charge again. So, uh, I'm, I mean, charge up, not rampage. Um, and so, I think you're sending it out to trample on the enemy. <laughs> <laughs> Except, what it really does is help you because it just you know if, you, if you're stuck and there are no cards you can play. Uh, or mm-hmm. no cards you can turn over um, then you send your horse out and it destroys two random cards and maybe those will turn over a card that you can play basically what you're saying is
0: horse create opportunities for me and the horse just does something yep.
1: <laughs> <laughs> the analogy is not super strong but my bigger problem is just that
0: <laughs> I really want to dig into this Tom as long as you've got
1: I don't have any choices yet. I don't have anything I can do. I just always do the only thing I can do sometimes like very rarely one turn in six maybe uh I have two different thing cards I could play, and one or more of them would reveal uh a currently unrevealed card. Sometimes you can see what the card is below that one, and so you know revealing it will not help you at all. It's a seven below that and that would, after you play this, you can't play a seven um and sometimes there are two, and they both have a card beneath them that will be revealed. And so uh, you can do either, but there aren't any decisions to make there because both have an equal chance of giving you a card you can use. You have no idea what it's going to reveal. Mm. So it's really rare to, for there to be any meaningful choice. Like, if there's one where... You can see that the car below it won't help you, and the other one where you can't see what the carburetor is. Of course, you do the one where you can't see what it is. Um, if there's one where you can see the carburetor will help you, and one where you can't see what it is, then you do the one that definitely will help you. There are so few times when it's like a strategically interesting decision of like which one of these mm. do I want? Maybe if you can see what they both are, and both of them are usable. Then there's a further assessment to make of like after I play that next card, what would it connect to? Do, so that has happened never. So far. Does your
0: opponent draw their cards from the same deck that you do?
1: Um, I don't know in terms of the decks, but basically the card at the bottom of the screen. When you are stuck and you can't play a move uh, because that card doesn't isn't one greater or higher than anything on the board, you end your turn and that card goes away and they get a new one. So, um, mm. that's been cause of several annoying things where I get a card, just turns over a random card for me, doesn't relate to anything on the board, so I have to end my turn, turns over a random card for them, connects to 15 cards, and they charge both their pistols and shoot me. <laughs> and it's just like, okay, that's mm. what happened then, and I lost this fight, but I don't see what else I could have
0: done. That's why you need the opportunity horse.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, the, and that, when that's charged... Yes, I can now do one I have one decision to make. Do I use that or do I not use that? Mm-hmm. And you know, if I can't do anything else, I might as well use it. And so it's just incredibly binary. And then it takes ages to charge up again, so it's like a once per fight thing. Right. Um and I do now have I have a pistol and a gun, but the decision of which of those to use is also really kind of trivial because one is uh takes three cards to charge up, and one takes four cards to charge up. Um But the one that is quicker to charge up does one less damage. So if I can charge the four one, I should use that. If I can't, I guess I'll use the three one. (laughs) Right. So it's clear all this stuff will get more complicated later. And I'm sure there's interesting decisions to make down the line. But like, I keep wondering if I'm missing something about how the basic mechanics, because it just seems like I don't have any choice of what to do.
0: Mm. Um, I don't want to paraphrase it too much. I know Pips played it and has extremely similar feelings, I think. Right, I, I believe she's finished it, and I know she's finished it. So, um, I mean, this is probably something she should she should say. But like, um, I think she had the experience of knowing that in some cases, the right thing to do is not to go on a run because it can create a run for your opponent. So you have the kind of it's like a oh. solitaire thing of like not doing you know what I mean like doing sort of right. sort of a minimal kind of efficiency plays in order to create bad experiences for your opponent which is maybe does have some strategic depth but plays against what's gratifying about solitaire which is clearing space getting yeah. all these big combos it's interesting yeah it, it sounds like it sounds to me and I haven't played it but it does sound to me that like um that solitaire is a great fit for this because it is so substantially random right it's fine, you know, it's a kind of, it's a, it's a, a pattern resolution exercise that you do by yourself. Hence the name. Yeah. Shall we do some questions from questions? Yes. A phrase that I've reconciled myself to, <laughs> given that someone, uh, Kane, probably almost certainly Kane yeah. on discord uh, pointed out I might have invented. <laughs> I blamed Marsh for it last week, and I have, unfortunately, to take that back. Uh, I blame Marsh for most other things. Let it be, let it be noted.
2: I kind my of jumped r- in quickly to try and stop the, the <laughs> rambling <laughs> introduction. <but You're> <laughs> no, there's no embed. stopping it. This freight
0: train <laughs> only has one direction, and it's convoluted. <laughs> well, I noticed my role has always been to
1: uh, flag up the weirdness of saying from questions such yeah. as... Like, Or that's where they come from, or I suppose that's the best place for them.
0: This uh, podcast is now much like British democracy, just a series of mad traditions. We don't understand where they came from. We can't stop doing them without triggering some kind of crisis. That's the hottest take you're getting out of me this week. First question comes from Brendan, who writes, would you play this? And just sends us a picture of Deus Ex and the city, (laughs) (laughs) which is, as you might expect, I'll put the link in the show notes, but in case you don't want to look at it, it's just Adam Jensen with the cast of Sex and the City.
1: Quite a good merge of the different cover art like it.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's effectively done the to logophiles. the extent that you can do that. <laughs> um, You know, Tommy, the biggest ASX fan I know. Yep. Um, sort of television. The, the least big
1: <laughs> Sex in the City fan you know.
0: Perhaps. The tiniest. Uh, yeah, I'm just
1: extremely small. I love it, but I'm very small. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> He's
0: one centimetre tall. He's like a, like a little borrower. Uh you know what I'm talking about. I gotta say, I have trouble
1: visualizing it. I suppose it would be Adam, <laughs> Adam Jensen. Actually it would be Adam Jensen in like conversational combat with Kim Cattrall mm. <laughs> or um mm. about mm. like they're unwilling to give up the details of, of um their current uh love life situation and you have to use your like Pheromone org to yeah. assess their vulnerabilities I, and go I think, for the.
0: I think it would just be reading a lot of sexy emails. <laughs> I think fundamentally, you just eat catering-sized tubs of energy bars and eat read a lot of steamy office emails. <laughs> I'm into that. I'd play it.
1: I think I'm realizing now that Kim Cattrall is the only actress whose name I can think of from Sex and the City because she's also in Star Trek.
0: <laughs> yep, that's that's the territory we've wandered into. <laughs> pip was here, John. Would you play Deus Ex in the city?
2: If it was like a series of assassination missions, <laughs> where you had to stop people spending gross amounts of money on <laughs> materialistic possessions, it was basically anti-capitalism. The game,
0: right? I'd be you it. play as a kind of what? Well, how does that reconcile with the fact that you are a billion-dollar man?
2: <laughs> it's there's some interesting um, philosophical opportunities. <laughs> there's uh, some room room for back and forth in your conversational <laughs> combat
0: you should and, just enter
2: a big room at the end where you pick th- like between
0: shoes you just, yeah the big the end the doomsday machine yeah, I mean, yeah
2: chemical trial pops up
0: and says we're the same you and I <laughs> <laughs> maybe one each member of the Sex and the city cast could represent one of the different endings <laughs> <laughs> that would work would it I don't know you could play the hacking minigame to, you know, crash
1: the servers of major retail outlets to make these things free.
0: We are betraying our lack of real <laughs> Sex in the City jokes so much yeah, as our like- wealth of sex jokes. But nonetheless, it does sound a bit like sex, and therefore the joke does work. Yeah. I would like to just confirm that.
1: It would be interesting to hear a Sex in the City podcast to try and come up with yeah. uh, <laughs> theories for how this could work as yes. well and see if their increased knowledge of one category and decreased knowledge of the other one would create similar problems yeah
0: i don't want to assume that we know more about sex in the city than a sex in city expert would know about deus ex i'm no, not willing i'm not willing perhaps to play less. that territory. if anything yes perhaps less um but nonetheless i mean you know i'd love to play a i'd love to play a deus ex comedy that's because i want to play another no one less forever game <laughs> basically which is really functionally you know if you want to find the tonal midpoint between these two things within the realm of the games that actually do exist Nolf is pretty much as close as you're gonna get. Yeah, It's the one that has various forms of, you know, does
2: it have a comedy monkey? In it does Sex have and a
0: comedy. There's probably a comedy monkey in the City. That I think it was it.
2: it Second City
0: Two, the film that went some pretty uh, insensitive places.
1: That sounds right. Yeah, yes. I mean,
0: you know, if there's ever going to be room for cruelty to animals on set. Maybe that's it. <laughs> um, you know. North, very least, did not harm a monkey. I don't know what I'm talking about, <laughs> except I would defend this series on the basis that as far as I'm aware, uh, the, the, uh, naughty's immersive sim comedy series, No One is Forever, did not harm a monkey, and I'm willing to stake my reputation in the general <laughs> on i Are we done? Mm-hmm. Okay. Next, uh, is actually a wonderful email, not a question so much as just a wonderful email from David, who writes, Hey gang, a little Poirot related anecdote I thought I'd share. Probably too rambly to read on air, up to you, Well, it was up to us, David. <laughs> and we decided to read it. Uh, way back in episode 195, just before the great Poirot-Colombo conversation derailment, Chris uttered the following. I'm not doing this in the Poirot voice. I don't know if I've got the Suchet. I don't have the Suchet. That's me doing my own voice there. Uh, at the time, I had no idea there was an actor named David Suchet so upon hearing this my brain passed it as one might when hearing a French word one doesn't know but kind of gets the gist of (laughs) in this case my half-occupied brain decided that souche was probably a certain synonym for swagger moxie or savoir faire he had a certain sushe about him as he <laughs> entered the room, if you will. I'm happy to report that I've successfully deployed this non-word in several conversations and would invite and encourage you to do so. For example, I caught up with a pal who was out of sorts. Afterwards, I sent him a text saying, Hope you feel better and get your sushi back soon. <laughs> Without missing a beat, he said, I'm not sure I ever had much of a sushi to begin with, but I will should endeavor to get one. Brilliant. Since then, my girlfriend and I have been powering through Pyro and loving it, so thanks for doing a pod about an amazing 30-year-old TV show that my grandmother used to watch. It's honestly delightful. It's also the perfect way to give 2017 a horrible year in many ways, the middle finger just for a few hours a week. Cheers, David, who's indecision on discord. Uh, PS, I'm typing this while in the middle of a four week road trip up the East coast of Australia, my girlfriend and I, uh, bought a used car just for the trip. And when deciding what to name our trusty steed, we both agreed very quickly that it should definitely be Hastings (laughs) looking forward to the next little gray cells so we can listen on the road. David, uh, a, hundred percent on board for sushi <laughs> becoming a word. Cause it's a little bit like sachet, which is kind of like probably where I you're getting mm, that from. I,
1: I thought of cachet as well. Mm. Like if you have the cachet.
0: Yes. It's, a, it's somewhere between cachet and sachet is sushi. <laughs> you get a you from somewhere. Yep. Yeah.
1: The U is within you. Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> the sushi was inside you all along. Um, yes, no, it's brilliant. The, um, I wanted to say it quickly. Uh, apologies for the sort of, uh, momentary absence of little gray cells. We've just been super busy with other things. And so people may not realize this, but holy shit is Christmas. Just the most time sparse time of year for game journalists? I imagine a lot of industries kind of Clyde with a brick wall at Christmas where you work twice as much for two weeks so that you can have a week off. But yeah, it's been one of those things where even when we have had time, it's like trying to record a thing at the end of a day where you've already done a double shift so we would like to get one done before Christmas but yeah, it might be that it's a little while before we get back to our reliable weekly schedule a
2: little bit like Bloodborne Have there been Pyro Christmas specials?
0: There have been, but I feel like we're committed to this in the order that they occurred mm. kind of thing, and it's probably more us to end up looking at the Christmas specials in like May <laughs> you know Um but yes, I'm glad people are enjoying Pyro, I'm just again glad that we've proven that uh the notion of a coherent content hashtag content hashtag brand is a complete lie <laughs> and that we can be your one stop for now patreon destination for video games and itv shows next on the list is i almost said next in the running order and that's because i've done a lot of pen and paper role playing recently <laughs> is alfie uh whose initiative role permits him to ask dear creighton crowbar Chris has mentioned a few times that he hasn't played XCOM 2 War of the Chosen much or at all. He claims it's because he's been busy and hasn't had the time. However, I found secret evidence that it's because he's avoiding a conflict of interest. See attached screenshot. He attaches a screenshot. Oh, well, you guys have seen it. I'll put the link in the show notes. I didn't realize that they had taken my face (laughs) (laughs) for a, a poster in XCOM 2 War of the Chosen.
1: It's presumably, yeah, some kind of advent,
0: like overlord or something, right? Yeah. It doesn't look like it's a, one of the user made posters. It looks like me with a fringe and a more manicured beard than I tend to have. (laughs) And it's a little, it's a little bit like that Morrissey autobiography that came out that might as well just have had a picture of me on it. It's definitely an issue with if you take if you rob me of the sense of scale that allows you to kind of frame me as a five foot five man, then I, I do become momentarily indistinguishable from a variety of, uh, generic white men, <laughs> including Morrissey and this advent guy. This feels like it, it's
1: sort of like a, a slider on your stat profile of like how many people look like you. Mm. Cause I think Graham is, is quite high on that. We often see people who look like Graham. Yeah. Well, Graham was famously then, the lead in prey. Yep. And then our friend Matt Castle is incredibly high on that scale. He's just forever being told, oh, he's someone someone look just like you. And yeah, there's, yeah. there's like um, there's someone else here in Bath who's um, uh, just reliably, every time anyone sees him, they think they, they saw Matt Castle. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of those faces.
0: Yeah, I think it might be one of those faces. But nonetheless, eerie. We'll put the link in the show notes.
1: I don't think I do. I've only seen, there is one stock photo of someone who is not me, but looked enough like me that for a second I thought it was me. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think maybe I just specifically look a bit like Morrissey in a way that I can never really shake. <laughs> so that's, you know, that's just a thing that's always a cross I have to bear, unfortunately. <laughs> um, I didn't ask for this. Uh, see attached screenshot. clearly sold his image rights for a substantial sum and it's been hoping none of us would notice or ask about his new money hat. One thing I love about Alfie's email is that he's capitalized every, sorry, put an exclam at the end of every single sentence, <laughs> which makes it feel like uh, a kind of uh, grand jury testimony. Um either that or you know represents the height of post-invasion alien overlord ruled fashion. I enjoyed the veiled compliment in that, <laughs> which is that like I have finally achieved a kind of stylistic prominence, but it's <laughs> only in the context of the domination of Earth by a fundamentally inhuman species that understands nothing about, uh, human values. As a visual gag, I know this won't work as an email. <laughs> Wild tough. Uh, thanks for the great pods and have yourself a Merry Little Christmas. Cheers, Alfie. Uh, yes, no, I don't think I'd, I've seen a, a Tom Francis doppelganger or a John Roberts doppelganger, for that matter.
1: I get quite a few people telling me they, uh, like sending me a link to like, oh, I thought this was you. And then it's just nothing like <laughs>
0: <Yeah. laughs> Oh, it's just like, like a, a crab or like a, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, often an Ikea a cabinet yeah. or something. <laughs> like, when you say nothing like you, you just mean it's just a human person.
1: Yeah. Just maybe like, the skull shape is the same mm. <laughs> like all of the flesh on the skull is different
0: <laughs> which is an important part of a human face that's all it? we're talking about really it's just you know sometimes that flesh on the skull looks the same <laughs> out of our depth at this one as well apparently uh next in the order is sean who writes hello My significant other had an idea for a game in which you play as a dog, searching crime scenes, but the crime scenes have been eaten by a mysterious animal that has pooped it out. Your job is to therefore rummage around in the droppings and recover what evidence you can. For whatever reason, I had a strange déjà vu-esque feeling. I would heard this idea before, or something like it, discussed on the pod. Am I an insane person, or did such a game or anything vaguely related to this premise ever get discussed? I'm losing confidence as I write, but I was so sure for a brief second that I had to ask. That's from Sean, and I really like. um I like any email that signs off with like "I'm losing confidence" because <laughs> it makes me think of the end of like a lot of Lovecraft stories or even kind of similar horror, where it's like, even now as I consider this, I wonder differently, and like, no, Dagon, and then they, you know. <laughs> um,
1: using my detective instincts,
0: I is this I, like a vision mode? You yeah,
1: have? I don't remember this, but I could well believe that we have discussed. um the concept of when you kill like an animal in an RPG and you find incongruous items on its body, such as hmm. a fork or a coin, um, the concept of like, oh, uh, isn't it funny to think about like how that got on that that creature uh, was the basis of an all over I did at PC Gamer once where it was just called CSI Azeroth and it was about like after you kill a boar, if it's got a silver fork on it, you've got to figure out where that silver fork came from and reverse engineer the circumstances of its death. And Mm. so if we talk about that, that might be a triggering thing. You don't go through their feces, but you go through their still warm body. (laughs) (laughs) it's equally disgusting.
0: I like the idea of the detective that has to murder everyone they think might be a suspect (laughs) so they can go through their things.
1: (laughs) Yeah, this was, I I was like, I liked the idea that it was just a boar dying was something that a detective had to investigate. (laughs) Like, how did this happen? Who could have killed this boar? Why why do they have this... Yeah. This person's business card on them.
0: <laughs> yeah, Actually, they uh, ate that person. Uh, yeah, detective mystery built entirely around the death of an animal is a stupid idea that you definitely shouldn't invest any time into. Um, John, you staying
2: far away from this one. <laughs> okay.
0: Next is Brian, who writes oats. No, hang on, that's not what he writes. <laughs> <Oats>. <laughs>
1: that's what your pet goat wrote to us.
0: Brian's a horse. <laughs> um, no, Brian isn't a horse. <laughs> Brian writes, I can read. He didn't write that. <laughs> He's really proud of that. Fact. I said that, Chris, yeah. me, hello. He can also write, presumably. This is why we didn't do the Patreon thing earlier. <laughs> this is why we did do it earlier. This is going real well. <laughs> Brian... The start of the podcast was also full of us
1: just saying, oh God, this is going to be
0: wrong. I can't believe we've... uh made it this far uh dear oats and grain bars he writes you gentlemen seem like the sorts who'd have your ear to the ground about such things so i was wondering what are your thoughts on the future of games workshop video games we've had plenty of competent games like sanctus reach deathwing and the upcoming gladius 4x game and the inquisitor diablo clone look solid but even at their best the scope of their development hasn't matched that of the setting apparently the new edition 40k is doing well and gw shares are up Do you think this new push from GW with the lore and miniatures could lead to more ambitious use of the IP with some higher budget productions? Bonus question. In the same vein as the Star Wars-related question from a few weeks ago, what's a game you'd copy into the Warhammer slash 40k universe? Personally, I think Mass Effect 2 would work a lot better in the fantastic sci-fi setting of 40k with Space Marines, where you can't swing a cat without hitting something analogous to a giant Reaper baby or a possessed insect man. You all seem nice, and I enjoy the fruits of your labor. Brian, who manages to sign off there with a lukewarm <laughs> take. <laughs> um, I think about this a bunch because I'm actually often struck by the kind of mid tier ishness of Warhammer games. Like there are good ones. Uh, I think, uh, so some disc- disclaimers. So I, I do genuinely really like Total Warhammer 2. It's got some issues with the, the Mortal Empire stuff they've added on and never and with Total War. It's not perfect. Um, but I really, really genuinely did enjoy it. One of my highlights of this year. So it's hard to say that all Warhammer games have kind of not quite hit the mark. Uh the disclaimer there is that I did some work on a related product for Creative Assembly, so that's you know don't think it colored my impression of the game too much, but yeah, there you go, full disclosure. Uh also I should probably disclose that the Gladius 4X game that's coming out is written by uh friend Dan Griliopoulos, mm. who we all know mm. and who I am distantly related to. So <laughs> it's just it's just disclosures all the way down for me. Um But um so yeah, but nonetheless it does stand out to me. Things like, uh, you know, uh, Space Marine, which I replayed a chunk of recently f- to write about, uh, is quite good, but mm. a bit crap. And it's really fun, but it's a bit crap, right? And most, most of the good Warhammer games are fun despite being, it having some kind of fundamental integral crapness to them. And, um, and there's lots of, there's lots of like, not just bad ones, but like super niche things like i love the horus heresy setting which is part of 40k um but it's really only ever been rolled out for things like uh, talisman spinoff games talisman being a board card game kind of thing it feels like it's so much more vibrant than that that you kind of want um uh you want you want more from it than this and it, this is, you know obviously it's a license that can't be too difficult to get because mm. everybody seems to have it and i find this endlessly fascinating because i really can't think of very many uh pre-video game as we know them IPs or franchises or anything else that video games owe more to than Games Workshop stuff really (laughs) like only aliens like uh, and Warhammer owes a lot to aliens so like in terms of not and that's not to encompass the entire breadth of video games because they're not more diverse than that but if you think about like the Games Workshop and Citadel were the lens that Tolkien passed through on its way to, like, all video games. And similarly, the lens that things like 2000 AD passed through on their way to all video games, like, games owe so much to the Warhammer notion of a space marine and the Warhammer notion of an Orc and the Warhammer notion of, you know what I mean, all this stuff. So it's kind of remarkable to me that they're not at the front of games. Mm. And there's definitely, definitely a parallel universe because Blizzard created Warcraft as a bid to get the Warhammer license, you know? (laughs) They, they, were, they were like, we can make this. And when they didn't get the Warhammer license, they just made it themselves. And now it's gigantic. Mm. And there's definitely a parallel universe where Warhammer and Warhammer 40K are Blizzard's video games. And World of Warhammer is the biggest MMO or the the <laughs> archetypal MMO. And uh, Warhammer 40,000, the real-time strategy game, is the definitive RTS esport. Because <laughs> um, Blizzard... Can't can't avoid that, right? <laughs> they had Space Marines and Eldar and Tyranids in a game and pretended that they'd invented those things. <laughs> yeah. Like you know, like um there's it's it's yeah, it would remain remarkable to me. And and as for the future of it, I think like I'd love to see I'd love to see given that they tend to be sort of mid mid tier games, I'd love to see them break away from we will make X game in this genre, right? Like, yeah. Um, we'll make a, we'll, we'll apply this as a skin to something.
1: That's nice. kind of why I had trouble answering the question, which is sort of which you know what game would you make with the Warhammer license? And like in order to be able to tell you that, and you to point to an existing game and say just like that, but with Warhammer. And I don't really want that.
0: <laughs> yeah, like so I because I mean I, cause I do think it can work. So I think total like I've said in the podcast before how, the ways in which I think Total War benefited from Warhammer, not just the other way around. Like, I think, I think Total War, I think Warhammer gave Total War designers freedom to do things they couldn't do in an interesting way. Um, so I do think there are sort of genre and game series matchups that work. I do think a, you know, a Mass Effect style RPG where you play as, um, like an Inquisitor or an Agent of the Inquisition, something like that would work potentially really well. Mm. Although you're kind of like, I can definitely see that going the way of
2: Technomancer.
0: Cause it is, you're entering what John described earlier, yeah. it's like the Technomancer Danger Zone.
2: Well that was going to be my answer. I'd, I'd love to play Seven if it was set in the Warhammer in a 40k universe. Cause those guys fucking nailed future technology wizards. You can't really yeah. get much better. Warhammer you mean? Warhammer,
0: yeah. yeah. Well yeah, this, it feels like it's suspended between two poles where you have the kind of the full body horror end with Warhammer and you have the full, this is probably fine end with Star Wars. <laughs> Uh, like I would, I would say XCOM for this. Mm. Like, I think there are so many different, um, in fact, cause there are games in these settings, but, uh, Warhammer has a lot of really great in both in all of its iterations, loads of really great, um, sort of, uh, formats for interesting small team combat. You could do XCOM with, uh sort of space hulk.
1: Yeah. You could really
0: cool. You could do XCOM with Space Hulk. You could do XCOM with Necromunda. You could do XCOM with Mordheim. You could do XCOM with sort of Deathwatch space marines hunting gene stealer cults. Like you could do X you know like XCOM feels like one of those formats that also Warhammer loves to bits. Like mm. because you know uh, you could do XCOM with the Shadow War stuff that's come out recently. You could do a kind of like vehicle XCOM with the old kind of Gorkamorka orc mm. Kind of battle car construction stuff. Um, Yeah, that's sort of dream game territory for me, I think.
1: I would quite like, um, I feel like maybe this was done at some point, but um, a space combat game with the giant fleets of Warhammer 40k? I can't remember what the the actual Battlefleet Gothic.
0: Yeah. There is a Battlefleet Gothic game. Yeah,
1: I remember them seeing some footage of one of those a while back. Uh, but i don't remember if actually, it ever came out or whatever. Actually, really i
0: would really like a space 4x. I know that Gladius the thing they're making is a like a terrestrial 4x, which feels like i mean um i'm you know willing for it to be good and hopefully it will be good, but it feels like a strange fit for me because settling down and creating cities and <laughs> well, city construction and resources. Actually, this is really interesting potentially. I think um 40K is a surprisingly great fit for a, a space 4x strategy game because one layer that 40k fiction has is this, this kind of like um pointedly dystopian abstraction of industrial processes across the, a kind of vast galactic scale. Cause most 4X games, you talk about Alpha Centauri or something like that. Don't consider how don't, don't really like get all stuff. Don't really like spend long considering how dehumanizing it is to consider a planet only for the one thing it produces. Right. Mm. Like say that this planet is worth worthwhile to me because it makes, treads for this particular type of tank <laughs> four billion people live there but it's useful because it produces this much of <laughs> this and that is explicitly a plot point in warhammer right like the entire plot planets are just these kind of been reduced to these kind of hive arcologies surrounded by vast sort of industrial wastelands because they've just been geared to making one type of handle for one particular type of <laughs> gun and that sort of that entire planet is for and i kind of love the idea of a X but around that way you have to deal with you conducting your galactic war, but you have to deal with like sometimes these entire civilizations collapse because you've tasked 8 billion people with making like windows for land raiders. And now they worship the windows and they've all gone (laughs) mad.
1: (laughs) I think the, the mass effect version, um, I want to see that, but I want it to be a, a game where, there is no paragon option <laughs> there's just like three <laughs> renegade options <laughs> each worse mm. than the last because that's for me that was the the sort of time when i realized when warhammer 40k <laughs> really clicked with me was when i realized there were no good guys like the, the empire yeah, yeah. are fucking horrible <laughs> and it's just all nasty all yeah the
0: there's like a really great um i love the one of the reasons i love the horror so much is it kind of reframes like the problem, the reason everybody is fucked, and it's nice to have, like, uh, it's not a heroic story. It is a heroic story, but it's a heroic story where you've, everyone's fucked. Like, <laughs> no one can win. And it's because as soon as you, you know, chaos is kind of primordial threat. It's functionally, you know, that whole annoying thing people do and it's like, oh, you've lost the game because you thought about the game? Nothing. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like that thing? That's what chaos is. Right? If <laughs> you thought about chaos, oh, you fuck, you lost the game. Because you've thought about it now. So now it's real again. <laughs> so the early days of the Imperium are an attempt to create a galaxy where no one's thinking about chaos. So only the Emperor knows about chaos. And anyone who else who knows about it is forcibly executed. When they, encu- when they encounter offshoots of humanity elsewhere in space that know about chaos and are trying to fight it and often have much better utopian Star Trek style societies to beat this cosmic threat. These kind of like hyper Baroque Catholic space assholes come out of (laughs) nowhere and not knowing why kill all of them because they have to die because the only way to not to solve it is for them to be this bad. And then one, you know, and then but it never works. I love that as a kind of concept Mm. because it means that you are the baddies. Is that that what?
1: the concept of heresy yeah. is? You know?
0: Yeah. Heresy is basically admitting the You thought about chaos. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You thought about chaos. Like, I mean, you know, even in, in, even when demonic incursions are a semi-regular thing in all, <laughs> in all contexts, it's still, um, forbidden to suggest that that's what happened. It's always a weird alien. It was never a demon. It was always <laughs> just a particularly freaky alien.
2: Is that a problem though? Like games that, No, that, um, the, everything is shit everyone 's kind of an asshole deep down, even the good guys is that so uniquely catering to british post empire <laughs> wallowing that I think it can't translate to me
0: <laughs> i think well one one thing i think it's I think it's a really unusual stance I think you're right that it's, it's a peculiar, it's a peculiar tick of british eighties science fiction mm. um you know, doesn't have that kind of optimistic drive or that we can do it if we all work together kind of thing. It's just like, what happens when we all work together is like planetary annihilation.
1: <laughs> you can tell a story about like a few uh less horrible people in a horrible world, because that's kind of what Game of Thrones is, right? Mm. There's, yeah, there's yeah. a few people who are like, you know, Tyrion's not a saint. <laughs> He's not <laughs> a lovely person, but by comparison, he seems like... <laughs> well, one yeah,
0: like one thing I like about a lot of Warhammer fiction is that, all 40k fiction, is that it has there are characters who have something resembling a moral compass, but it doesn't shy away from the fact that they have a moral compass within the context of being, for example, a space Marine where you're already kind of like a fascist ubermensch. Mm. Uh, but you know, it's, it's good at doing that kind of shades of gray thing where it's like relative to most people, this, <laughs> I can root for this person. And it, you know, it, it it's, has some human element to it like i would totally play like an ftl in the 40k universe where you're just a like a rogue trader Mm. trying to make your way in the universe and you can all of these situations and try and hold on to humanity but you probably can't like um i would play papers please in the 40k universe (laughs) where you just have one big stamp marked heresy (laughs) um yeah basically i think it's i, I you know i'd love to see it applied to more kind of adventurous concepts and like the kind of pc style works that tend to get rotated through but those kind of produce good things like mm-hmm. vermin another example of it done well and that yeah, well, and that
2: is that is warhammer left for dead right what's the um royalty tinder game that's just uh, out uh, of an uh, oh uh, rains 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 could work in warhammer well, And you're the emperor yeah <laughs> just do whatever you like yeah you, you've it's right to sacrifice two thousand psykers
0: a day this. yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, you, you're the emperor. You have died. <laughs> like, um, yeah, no, good. I am, um, I'd love them to, to be more adventurous with it. That said though, I do, I do love that uh, you know, so I have, you know, I, I dream of going to work on a Star Wars anything, right? And that's the distant thing. That's a very hard thing to imagine. However, 40k is not that hard to imagine because (laughs) it happens all the time so i'm kind of a little bit invested in in it being this accessible to developers of different stripes because yeah it's not just been sucked up by ea or somebody
1: Mm. they were making that big mmo weren't they they then cancelled was it just um like a 40k mmo oh dark something (laughs) i mean i'm stabbing
0: (laughs) in the dark was it called dark imperium Something was. Because Dark <laughs> Imperium is the name of the most recent 40k box set, the right. models, so I wonder if they...
2: Yeah, yeah. I can't remember. Dark I went...
0: Future, Dark Millennium, Dark Millennium. It's called Dark Millennium.
2: There was a Battlefield-style game I remember seeing on a PC gamer stream.
0: Actually. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes, that did come out. That is out.
2: Is it? Yes. All
0: right. That's Does called... Space Marine
2: still kind of tum- combat roll around the place? Yeah. yeah. Which looked particularly weird. <laughs> That's what the big round shoulder pads are for. <laughs> How do you do a roly-poly have a massive ball. square head?
0: <laughs> they can't do the Samus from Metroid thing of actually turning into a ball. <laughs> they almost could have had two more shoulder pads they could. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Big knee pads. <laughs> uh, it is silly, but I like it a lot. Uh, next, well, next email, so I won't read out the whole thing, but it's from Simon. Um, who uh so a few weeks ago we had someone write in to say that they had wanted to listen to the old pc gamer podcast dishonored special but uh no longer couldn't find the file anymore because obviously vanished off whatever server it was being held on uh simon has written in and very kindly provided us with an mp3 of the pc gamer dishonored special uh which i will make sure gets passed on to people who want it which is very very kind of simon uh, and, um, also I, I thought I'd mention that, partly to say thank you, but also because if anyone else wants that and hasn't been able to find it, then, uh, we, I can potentially email it off Unless hundreds of people ask, in which case I will just upload it somewhere. Um, so yeah, that's a thing to email in about. Uh, he does close with saying PS, was the PC Gamer podcast effectively Crate and Crowbar Oranges? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, y- yes. I suppose it was, yeah. What well, was, was, was for us? I feel like, I, I feel like the Crate and Crowbar is uh, a particular, well, I suppose actually, as far as you, I and Tom Senior are concerned, a particular generation of PC Gamer Frozen in Time. Hmm. Obviously, um, Tom S is still at PCG and Pip is at PCG now, so, but they also do the uh, PC Gamer podcast, which now exists again, mm. thanks to Sam Roberts. So they, they both exist now. The In retrospect, the big mistake that
1: the PC Gamer podcast made was um, putting their MP2 files on the company servers, which uh, instead of... Going with the much more secure long-term option, which is my personal web space. Yes. <laughs> if they'd done that, they would still be online today and they're not, <laughs> which is a bizarre thought, but my web space was around then. It was around
0: seven years before that. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, you had like a day of downtime in that time. Yeah. I was
1: uh, briefly taken offline for a copyright infringement,
0: <laughs> but that's, that's behind me now. I've really turned yeah. over a new leaf. Yeah. That, that was a, that was a folly of your youth. Two weeks ago.
1: <laughs> it was, yeah, it was a follow-up of my, youth. It, like, it was actually because of my website had been online so long, it was something I blo- uploaded literally, like, nine years ago or something and completely forgotten
0: was there. And no one was paying attention to this stuff in 2006. We were running wild. We were just uploading <laughs> whatever the fuck we wanted. FTP was just being passed around in clubs who we were... I like to think in 2006
1: <laughs> they made a list of all the illegal MP3s online and they just now got to mine. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Let's not talk about 2006. <laughs> Actually, it wasn't 2006, it was nine years ago, right? 2008. Yeah, who knows? Not real time. Didn't happen. <laughs> uh, that is all of the emails that we have time for this week. If you'd like to send us an email, you can do so by emailing us at, uh, com. That's how you do that. We are now in the, uh, run-up to Christmas, which means the, uh, pod process will, will kind of sustain itself for a little bit. Expect a, a Crate and Crowbar Christmas roundup pod to close out the year at some point before Christmas. Probably, well, almost certainly in the next two weeks, because that's how many weeks there are. <laughs> uh, I think we've got one more regular episode and then we'll have a Christmas episode after that, I believe, just to set expectations, uh, which we are planning to film mm-hmm. as we've done the last couple of years, do a kind of year roundup in that way. Uh, we've also got uh, two more episodes of our Bloodborne playthrough coming between this time of recording and Christmas, which point that series will return in the new year. Hopefully a little gray cells in that time as well. Time permitting, maybe even a bonus thing. You don't know about that. I'm saying that in those words, because if (laughs) if it doesn't happen, then you don't know about it. You do now, but shh. And also uh, immediately before Christmas, we will be putting out the crate and crowbar dungeons and dragons Christmas special, which I know we've announced in a few different venues now. But it is now recorded. It happened. It happened. (laughs) And it was great. Over the course of a very long afternoon. So one thing I've learned, I've done a lot of pen and paper role-playing, GMing this year. It's been a big part of my year. And one thing I've learned... Is that when I say, I think I've planned what will be a three-hour one-shot, <laughs> I'm a fucking liar. I'm a liar wrong man. And I'm not to be trusted. So look forward to four two-hour episodes. <laughs> it'll be it'll probably be a four-episode series. what plan is we're going to put it out one episode after another day on day on day uh, as a little treat. So basically what I'm saying is block out about half a day of your <laughs> Christmas. Uh, you don't have to do that. You don't have to do that at all. But nonetheless, it's coming. Hopefully it'll be fun uh, when the process of editing at the moment. And that's basically that's for the run up to Christ- Christmas. But you do get your questions in for those remaining parts. Also, I forgot that will be one more miniatures monthly as well to cover December. A little bit different to the usual format because it's been less than a month. But yeah, we're loads on. If you would like to support these various activities, then currently the best way to do that is still Patreon, which is patreon.com forward slash crate and crowbar. Uh, obviously, you know, heed my earlier PSA about exactly the subject but it is still the thing we use to raise money to pay people for their time and gear and equipment and things like that that we use to make things half decent if you would like to follow us on youtube you can find us at youtube.com forward slash crate and crowbar you can find the podcast on twitter at Crate and Crowbar. You can hang out with the Discord community on Discord, the link for which is on our website at crowbar.com, and in the show notes for this episode, which you'll find at the same place. If you would like to follow us as individuals, Tom Francis is on Twitter. At Pentadact, P-E-N-T-A-D-A-C-T. John Roberts is on Twitter. Uh, J-O-H-N
2: underscore A-R-R.
0: Uh, I, I do have a Twitter account, but I'm not using it. It's C Thurston, which is C-T-H-U-R-S-T-E-N.
2: Thanks the